1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to start off at verse 16. We're going to go down to verse 18. Uh, verse 16 is kind of a, a link. It ties back to what we've been talking about with widows, and it starts to switch gears to when we're going to start talking about elders. Uh, so it's, it's a transitional verse. But 1 Timothy chapter 5, hopefully we, we've found that by now. Uh, verse 16 down to verse 18, it goes like this. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them. And let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Let's have a word of prayer before we get looking at that this morning. Lord, we do thank you for this beautiful morning you've given to us this morning. We saw the thunderstorms last night, and your power in creation. And now we see a clear, crisp morning. We thank you for that. We ask as you bless this, this Sunday as we remember Palm Sunday, your, your entry back into Jerusalem for the very last time. a somber moment to think of. Bring into your ultimate sacrifice. I was just talking with Charlie Minkler about that this, this morning earlier. We thank you for all that. Please guide us through your word. Show us what you'd have for us to see and help us to change our lives to meet up with your word a little bit more. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. So as I say, verse 16 is kind of a, uh, it's almost like an afterthought on the subject of widows, as well as a transition to discussing the honoring of elders who are carrying forward on the things that we just talked about, uh, we've been talking about for a little while. We'll see that as we go along. And verse 16, let's, let's read it again. It says, If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. So as you look at that verse, you see that there's two commands. Two commands that pertain directly to the subject of widows. See, the subject of the discussion here is a believer who is a caregiver for widows in the church. But this is a new and a slightly different scenario. In the past, the last few weeks, we've seen widows being cared for by their family. But there's specific instructions for an individual who's taken it upon themselves to care for a widow in need. And the first command that Paul gives here is to, that they continue to offer relief to them. Right? Let them relieve them. Keep doing what you're doing. See, Paul's all in favor of individuals choosing to step up and to offer aid to those people who are in need in the church, whether it's widows or whether it's otherwise. There's all kinds of people who need different things, right? We've already looked at the importance of making sure that they're genuinely in need, and I'm not going to beat that again. Paul's all in favor of us all stepping up and offering 
assistance. That's a good mindset for all of us to be in, isn't it? But there's a second command here. The second command is kind of interesting. It says, and let not the church be charged. See, Paul's concern here is that the church not be burdened with caring for these particular widows. The church as a group, you and me all together collectively. Of course, we all realize that caring for widows in need is a burden, right? It's a burden. I talked last Sunday about how raising children is a burden. Caring for widows is also a burden. It costs time, it costs money, it costs perhaps even room and board. There's all kinds of different aspects that make it a burden. It can be a blessing too, just like the raising of children can be a blessing, but it's still a burden. Sometimes it can be a substantial burden, but it's also a blessing. Now, as we already saw in uh, verses 4 and 8, the ideal circumstance is for families to take care of their own. We've already talked about that. I'm not going over it anymore. God's plan has never been. The church is always going to have more needy people than it can ever possibly provide for. Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. There are take on these burdens ought to be a last resort rather than a first response. So often it's a first. The last phrase of the verse is kind of interesting as well. It says, that it may relieve them that are widows in need and genuinely do not have anyone else to support them. That's the church's job. But that should be a pretty rare... How, how many people have absolutely no family, friends, or anybody else at all? They're complete loners in the world. Nobody. Not many. This ought to be a rarity. God's never intended for the church to be a social relief agency. That's not what the, Some churches, that seems to be all that they do right now. That's not what the church is meant to be. We always ought to be aware of ways that we can help those who are in desperate need. But that's not our primary mission. If somebody is in dire straits, truly dire straits, it's our duty as followers of Christ to help those folks. We ought to understand that. I think of the one that constantly comes to my mind is the lame man. Remember uh, early in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're headed to the temple. There's a lame man on the temple steps, right? He's been lame since his youth. He's a grown man. He's been lame since his youth. Peter and John go along. He asks for alms. And Peter says to him, oh, silver and gold, I don't have any, but what I've got I'll give to you. Long story short, Peter and John heal him right there. That man had been there since his youth. Jesus had just died a couple of weeks before. Jesus had walked right by that lame guy over and over and over again and had never healed him. Isn't that interesting to think about? He was, he was saved for Peter and John to heal. Even Jesus didn't help every single person he met. Sometimes our time is better spent elsewhere, isn't it? It would be nice to be able to help every single needy person that we come across, but we simply cannot do it. And Jesus realized that, and he gave us that lesson. See, we as a church need to focus on our main task. Our main task is described 
What's the book that I've told you to study in parallel with 1 Timothy? And when we get to 2 Timothy, there's a, there's a book we're supposed to study. It's Ephesians. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. Here's the task that the church is supposed to have. Let's go back up to the, the gifting uh, that we talk about. Verse 11. We're going to start at verse 11. He says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, talking about the construction of the church. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the purpose that we're here for. The main ministry of the church is not feeding people. Uh, It's not preaching. It's edifying and building up the church. And that's where a lot of churches today get off focus. Now, I think you'll agree with me. Paul's given Timothy and you and I an awful lot to think about regarding widows, hasn't he? I mean, we've spent about a month or so looking at these different things. There's a lot for us to think about. And as James pointed out, and I've referred to just about every week for the last month or so, that care for widows and orphans in the congregation is the kind of religious act that God approves of. Remember, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to uh, visit the widows and orphans in their affliction. That's Uh, and to keep oneself unspotted. You and I ought to seek out those opportunities to do that every day as individuals. So now we shift gears to people who are tasked with doing that. Verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Now we're focused on a different group. Remember when we kicked this all off back at the beginning of the chapter, we, we also said that chapter 5, verse 1, the chapter continues through 6, verse 2, where we talk about three different demographics. We talk about widows, we talk about elders, and we talk about servants. And we see an escalation of honor. Honor, double honor, and all honor as we get to each group. We're in the second group now, elders. The elders that we're speaking of here is not a position in the church. We talked about that when we were at verse 1. We're talking about simply older men in the church. Boy, we got, we got some older men in the church here, don't we? I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just, we got some older men in the church here. Uh, we're blessed with a lot of elders. Now, we know that this is talking about older men in the church because they're compared and they're contrasted with younger men in the church. We, saw, we talked about that earlier in the chapter. If we're all of a sudden to make it a position in the church, oh, he's an elder, then this, pas- this whole passage doesn't make any sense at all, does it? You can't compare uh, an elder as a position with a younger man. It, it just doesn't jive. Uh, Now, as we've already seen, these older men in the church more than likely are also in leadership roles in the church, but not necessarily. That may not always be the case. By the way, if you are going to take the path that these guys are leaders in the church, there's not one single time in the whole of the New Testament 
that you can point out that there's just one elder of a church, a pastor position, as you, if you will, not one time. The early church was set up very much like a synagogue, uh, the synagogue style of leadership. A Jewish synagogue, even to this day, is a group of elders who oversaw the ministry of each individual synagogue. You still see Jews doing this mostly in Israel. Most, I've, where I've mostly seen it is in front of the Wailing Wall, uh, where you'll see them going around. They're looking for 10 men for a minion, 10 men for a minion, 10 men for a minion. They need to get 10 men over the age of 13 together to have a prayer meeting, basically, is what they're trying to do. That's how a Jewish synagogue is run, and that's how the church was run till about the third century. The idea of one man presiding over an individual church came later, and it led directly to the Roman Catholic Church, where you've got a priest, and over him is bishops, over him is cardinals, and over the top is the Pope himself. That's a Catholic tradition. That's not biblical. Never has been biblical. If we look at... Uh, Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, we can see the reason that Paul left Titus in Crete. For this cause left I thee in Crete. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? That thou should set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders, plural, in every city, as I have appointed thee. See, Titus, even Titus wasn't the man at the church in Crete. He was just tasked with setting up other men into ministry positions. Paul spoke of that in Philippians 1, verse 1, too, if you want to go there. I'm not going to right now. <clears throat> so Paul tells Timothy that he's speaking to these elders that rule well. That word rule is a Greek word proistemi. It means to manage or to lead. These elders are in positions where they help to guide the affairs of the church. But they can't be just anyone in charge. These guys need to do their job well. You notice there's a, there's a qualifying term there. Not just because he's a, in an elder position is he worthy of this. It's the one that does his job well. Uh, and that word is kalos proestites. It's two words, actually. It's almost the exact same term that was used to describe overseers ruling their house well back in chapter 3 and verse 4. See, the deciding factor here is not simply that they are older. They have to be older, but that's not the main thing. It's not even the position that they may hold, because they may not hold that position, but rather the quality of their service. They have to do their job well. Otherwise, none of this matters. Come on in. These need to be men who are serving in an exemplary manner. Now, of course we know that in order for any church to flourish, there has to be a solid core of quality men in leadership, doesn't there? Anybody out there? There has, there has to be a solid core of quality men in leadership for a church to flourish. We've just finished looking at a very touchy issue, the care of widows. If you look back to Acts chapter 6 and 7, which I've referred to pretty much every Sunday for the last month, 
That was the very first decisive, uh, divisive issue in the church. There was a division in the church. The very first recorded division in the church was how are we going to care for widows? The church had never faced anything like that before. It takes wisdom to deal with that, doesn't it? It takes a very wise man to analyze how are we going to deal with this. Okay, we got people who are bent out of shape about something here. We've got to figure this out. That's the sort of person we're talking about here. It takes very wise leadership to navigate the troubled waters that a lot of people can get bent out of shape on. There's a lot of things for people to get bent out of shape on in this world, isn't there? You can, I could spend the rest of the day just counting them. So Paul says that these older men who are serving in an exemplary manner are worthy of double honor, he says. <clears throat> now, we just saw that widows are worthy of honor. We're going to see in a few weeks that servants owe to their masters all honor. So what do you suppose this honor means here? Whatever it is, one measure goes to widows. A measure of all of it goes from servants to masters. And a double portion goes to elders who serve well in the church. I'll give you a clue. The Greek word is time. Does that help? <laughs> Let me explain it a little bit. The Greek word's time. That word time, it's spelled time. If you, want to, uh, if you ever want to know how to transliterate that, it's T-I-M-E, just like we'd spell time. It's time. It means respect, honor, respect. We talked about that earlier. In uh, chapter 6, verses 16, we see the word used again. Let's, let's do that. We're talking about God. All right, let me back up to it so I can give you an idea who we're talking about here. Let's talk about verse 15. Which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Do you know him? Who hath only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor, time, and power everlasting. Amen. That's our God. We're to give Him, time, respect, honor. I think He's worthy of that, don't you? That was a weak amen. Now, uh, so we're talking about the honor that we owe to God Almighty in 6 and verse 16. We're talking about honor to widows, respect to widows, treating them properly. That's what we just spent a month talking about. Now we're talking about giving a double portion of that same honor, that same respect to elders who do their job well. And then we're, uh, next time we're going to see, or not next time, but in a couple of weeks, we're going to see servants giving the same all honor to their masters. Now, the reason I'm uh, writing this pretty hard is some preachers will tell you that this means you ought to pay your pastor well. We've all heard that. And that simply doesn't make any sense at all in this context. And it doesn't match up at all with the meaning of the word time. Does anybody really believe that the church should double a pastor's salary? 
If anybody does believe that, then how often should you double it? I mean, double it every Sunday, double it, I mean, how often do you, it doesn't make sense, does it? It's stupid to think so, but I've heard it preached. You've heard it preached too. So, we also need to, another aspect of this that we need to remember is that Timothy, the book of Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy, were written to an individual, not to a church. I've said that over and over and over again because it's very important. We're not talking about a church paying a pastor here, yet that's often taught from this passage, typically by greedy preachers who want to use the gospel as a means of personal gain. Watch out, because we see it all around us. So why should these elders be worthy of an extra helping of respect? Why? Any ideas? Yeah, yeah, we, we agree that we should. I'll give you some ideas. What's that? Exactly, exactly. They're, you're, they're in the business, just like all of us are in the business, of helping, doing a servile task. Servants helping others. Especially serving in a relief ministry, like we've just been spending a lot of time talking about widows. That's often a thankless task, isn't it? Face it, a lot of times you don't get a, a lot of gratitude no matter how much you might be helping people out. That's a fact. And Paul narrows the field down some more when he says that especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Now the word labor here is from the root word kapeo. Kapeo. It involves toil. We saw it in chapter 4 and verse 10. It says that uh, they ought to be well reported of for good works. Oh, no, that's verse uh, chapter 5. Let me go back to chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, For therefore we both labor, kapeo, and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. He's talking about laboring, suffering. It's typically used to describe a hard-working farmer. Farmers work hard. Get up early. They start laboring on whatever the task might be. And they put a lot of effort and time into it. Paul's calling for those people who devote time and effort to study and teach the Word to be held in a high regard. Now remember, this is very important for us to remember, that in those days, we're talking 1st century A.D., most people in the church were slaves. They didn't have a lot of time to devote to study. Their time was owned by their master. They didn't have time to be devoted to study. They were working for their master. So, and preparing to teach God's word well is time consuming. It's time consuming. Just to find time to do weekly Sunday school is not easy for me, always. What with work and what with everything else that goes on in life. I can't even imagine 
what it would be like if I were a slave and I don't have a day off and I don't have any spare time and I, all my time is owned by my master. I can't even imagine. So when we put ourselves into that kind of context, do you understand the sort of person we're talking about? He's sacrificing. When he's done working for his master, he just wants to go to bed. But he's not going to bed. He's working, devoting time and effort to being able to teach the Word. And he doesn't even have a copy of it printed in front of him, does he? He's a slave. I've got all kinds of tools. I've got a laptop computer. I can pull up concordances. I can pull up all kinds of things. Time-saving devices. I can't imagine. Then we move to verse 18. And Paul backs up his argument with Scripture. He says, For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Paul's backing up his argument that they're worthy of the respect that's due them, and he gives them two sayings from the Hebrew Scriptures. The first one, where it talks about muzzling the ox, that treads the corn, he's uh, referring to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. Let's go ahead and look back. We've got a little bit of time. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. A direct quote. It says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. Very clear. That's an Old Testament command. And it was that the Jews weren't supposed to greedily hold back the ox from enjoying some of the fruits of his labor as he walks around the mill threshing out the grain. He walks around and around in a circle all day long. And if it's all right, you shouldn't put putting a muzzle on him. Let him reach down there and grab a bite here and there. Let him enjoy some of the fruit of his labor here. A bite here and there is what's owed to him. But notice... That's not what's supposed to sustain the ox. That's not what the ox doesn't live on what he eats off the floor as he's walking around. So I did a little look up. I'm not a farmer. I don't know how much an ox eats, but I was interested to find, well, how much are we talking about an ox eating? Well, I like I like to go to the fair and I like to see the big pulling steers. Anybody like to see the big pulling steers? They average around 1500 pounds. They're big boys. Uh, one of those, when he's not working, if he's, he's got a day off, his average feed is about 30 pounds of hay and some grain. When he's working, you can uh, increase that by 50%. What this ox is eating as he's treading this grain out is not what sustains him. It's a snack that tastes good, a cookie here and there. That's what we're talking about here. It's not enough to keep that ox alive. So again, we're not ta- people will say, well, you hadn't ought to muzzle the ox. That's why you ought to pay your pastor well. That doesn't even make sense. We're not talking about what sustains him. We're talking about a little bite here and there. The ox gets regular rations otherwise. Being able to eat just a little bit, have a little bit of enjoyment while he's working, is just treating him decently. That's what we're talking about here. It's the same thing with respecting the minister of the word. Throw the guy a bone once in a while because it's sometimes a thankless job. Let the, let the minister who's ministering well enjoy. Have a little bit of enjoyment once in a while. It'll do him good. 
and he won't get burned out as fast. The uh, second scripture that Paul refers to is the laborer is worthy of his reward. The only problem with this scripture is it's not in the Old Testament anywhere. It's not actually a scripture as you and I might think of that. So what's he talking about? Why does Paul say this is a scripture? Any ideas? What's that? I can't hear you. Well, yeah, uh, but Paul's not really making a direct quote. There's no scripture to, to refer to here, but Paul's making a statement of principle. We can see that principle throughout the Old Testament, can't we? We get the idea from the Old Testament, but there's no specific verse that says the laborer is worthy of his wages. Like there was when we went back to Deuteronomy 25.4, it said exactly what Paul quoted. We're talking about an overarching principle that's throughout God's Word, Paul said. And you hear me do that all the time. I'll say something, and we can see this throughout God's Word, can't we? And you all know that you nod and you say, yes, yeah, so that's true. That's what Paul's doing here. He's making a statement of principle from the Old Testament. We see the idea throughout the Old Testament that a good worker is worthy of decent compensation. Just like the ox, he ought to be treated decently while he's working hard. It's the same thing with a good servant of God. If he's working hard and he's doing the Lord's work, encourage the guy. Build him up so that he doesn't get burned out. Life is tough, isn't it? Life's tough for each and every one of us, isn't it? We've each got our struggles. Yours are different than mine, but I've got mine and you've got yours. Diligent ministry added on top of life's struggles can be downright discouraging, can't it? You know what I'm talking about. And we can all help each other along, can't we? That's what Paul's talking about here. We've all got our struggles. We've all got our ministry that's supposed to happen on top of it. We need to encourage each other as we do that, don't we? You mind if I pray toward that end? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that it has. We thank you for this church where we're able to gather, to encourage each other, to uplift each other, so that we can all be better ministers. There's so much going on. There's so many distractions. And there's so many struggles in this life. We all need a little bit of encouragement. Help us to be that in each other's lives. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we're leaning on you, and it's in your name we trust, and in your name we pray. Amen.